0: You will make your way to First Kings first, and then Second Chronicles. First Kings chapter 15. And I'm going to see what you think about this because I'm trying to... When, when you read Scripture and there's something in there, you, you can't quite square with what Scripture says. Asa presents a, a case of this. And I've come to this conclusion. So I'm going to give you my conclusion and see what you think. Um, you'll be judged by the whole tenor of your life... And not just by your best, your worst, or your last moment. You think that's true? You'll be judged for the whole tenor of your life, spiritually, not just for the best or the worst or even the last moment. That's kind of the conclusion I reached, and I'll tell you why I think that. There are a couple of really cool uh, verses to look at when it comes to King Asa that came through some... Prophets, and I want to share those with you. Prophet Azariah just read just a few moments ago. Uh, moments ago, by Michael, did a good job. The Lord is with you while you are with Him. If you seek Him, He'll be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He'll forsake you. It's kind of like this. Drop the microphone moment for this prophet. Now, is this good news or is this bad news? Well, it depends. Right. It depends on what you do. And uh, in fairness to Judah and, and, and Asa, they took it as motivation. And they pursued God, and they sought God, and God found them and blessed them. So it was a good thing. Later on, however, there's another prophet, Hanani, who comes along and he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I like this verse. This is a good, good verse. Does that sound like a good verse to you? you? Okay, so you remember the old song, right? There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And then you're in the old country churches where those ladies get revved up. And they go, watching you, watching you. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And it sounds like a... Sounds like she has a witch hat on and she's watching you, right? That's what, that's what I remember, Success Arkansas, this old lady. I swear it just felt like that. That's kind of what it sounded like. And this verse could be like, he's watching you, right, to get you. But this one looks to me like he's looking for you to bless you. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what it says to you? So you got the Second Chronicles thing, and this sounds like good news, but Israel... When they heard this, didn't respond so well. The promises of Scripture can be great, but it depends on you and how you're going to handle it, what you're going to do in response to them, because they could be just as easily bad. So Asa's is this great example. We're in 1 Kings, start out verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 15. Uh, we begin, in the 20th year of Jer- Jeroboam king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maka. It's not really his mother. It's his grandmother's name. The daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He talks about some of the things he did. Verse 14, he didn't take some of the high places away. Nevertheless, listen to this, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Now, I want you to keep that in your head and then go to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, where we have a little more detailed account of Asa, right? But he, was, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as David. That's who you want to model your kingship after if you're a king of Judah. And then he was wholly true to the Lord all his days. This is repeated also in chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, so he's not the only one to say this. And we begin to see why he was such a good king. Here's one of the reasons. Asa was a good guy, and here's why. First of all, he was good because of the things he took away. Sometimes you're good not by adding good stuff, but sometimes you're really good for what you remove. And so we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and he says, um, after Abijah died, verse 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the asherim. He started cutting down these things that were false worship places and vessels and things. He takes away that stuff. In 1 Kings 15, he talks about how he took away and removed the male prostitutes. That's crazy. He saw them. I don't know what they did, but whatever they did was not good, and so he takes them out. And it gets even better. I want you to look at verse chapter 14, or 15, 14, verse 16. no. 15, verse 16. And this is what it says at 15, verse 16. Even Maka, his grandmother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook hedron. He even deposed his own grandma because she wouldn't agree and cooperate with his removal of bad stuff. When you're even willing to take out grandma because she's not doing right, that's when you're devoted, right? He took things away. Anybody ever heard of Conway Twitty? Anybody ever? I'm gonna sing some more here. Uh, not just so Conway Twitty had a song and yeah, he had Hello Darling. everybody knows that. But he had one called Happy Birthday, Darlin. Where he's saying, I'm not going to give you any presents or fancy cake, but I'm going to take a lot of things away. I'm going to take away my suspicion, and I'm going to take away my reservedness, and I'm going to love you the way you deserve. So happy birthday, and and, and you won't be able to tell anybody what I got you, but you can sure tell people I took a lot of things away. I love that, right? It's a stupid song, stupid song. But here's what Asa did. The first thing he did that showed that he was wholly devoted to the Lord is what he removed. Is what he took away. And you have to know this. In order to be a good, faithful Christian, there are some things you have to take away. You can't follow Jesus without denying yourself. Taking up your cross. Or as we sing in the song, the world behind me, the cross before me. I've got to leave behind the things of the world. I've got to take some stuff away out of my life that doesn't belong there. And he even said, when it comes to taking his grandma out, right? I don't know what he did. He just made her go somewhere else or something. But the idea is, Jesus says this to us too. I brought the gospel, and it's going to split families, didn't he? He told us honestly. It's going to split families. That's not what he wants, but sometimes it has to. Asa was good because of some things he took away. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 4. <clears throat> and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and keep the law and the commandments. He encouraged them to keep the law as God proclaimed it in his word. It's one thing, though, to choose God for yourself. It's another thing <clears throat> to be able to inspire other people to choose God, too. One of the hardest things in Israelite history to look at is you see David was so good, and his kids were so terrible. Samuel was so good, but his kids were so terrible. So many so good, but they can't inspire their kids. And so when you read about elders and deacons, people who want to be elders and deacons, do you know why it says, look at the family? It says, look at the family, if he's not living a good enough life to where the kids want to buy into the faith, do you think he can lead the church to where other people in the church will buy into the faith and their kids? It, it's, it's like I, I've got to see that, it, that he is able to encourage other people. I want to see how this works a little bit in, in some of the ways he describes it. So chapter 14, verse 2. Asa did what was right, uh, good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Asa thought God was his God he's over me too he is the one who's sovereign over me and I'm going to do right by him but you know what that can easily make you into a privatized faith person it's just about me and walking with God and making sure that I'm right with God there's another layer of this and I want you to look at this more as it goes on through this passage chapter 14 verse 4 when he says and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord the God of their fathers he's not just my god right now my god he's also the god who has a history that was god long before i ever showed he's been god a long time he's been the god of our forefathers before we were ever born He's been around a long time, and he's got a track record. He's spoken before. We've got a witness of what he's spoken. He's done things before. He's got a history with us. He's a bigger God than just me. And then there's one other. Look at verse 7. He said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. He's, all, he's the God of all of us. Yes, he's the God of me. But he's the God of all of time, and he's the God of us. This really is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to gather as a community. He's not just my private God that I get in line with when I'm out in the woods, all alone in nature, in God's cathedral. I need to know that he's also your God and her God. And we come together to listen to the word of our God. And we together collectively submit to him. Not just me. Yeah, it needs to be me. And it needs to be just you. You and your God need to be right. But when we come together, we are are having a communal covenant that we remember. And it's important to know that there are other people under this covenant too. He's good for what he took away. He's good for what he encouraged the people to do. He was good because he was devoted to using the time of peace to build up the community of God. I want you to notice 2 Chronicles 14, verses 6 through 8, when again he says to them, he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. God took care of the enemies, the land had rest, and he decided, I'm going to build up and strengthen the people of God. The Lord gave him peace, and he said to Judah, let us build these cities, surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we've sought the Lord our God. We have sought him. He has given us peace on every side. And they built up and they prospered. And Asa had an army. He built up the army to 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, 280,000 men from Judah that carried shields and drew bows. These are the mighty men of valor. He wants to build up the people of God and strengthen them, not just in numbers, but in the civic identity of who they are i'm going to use this peacetime time to build up i hope that we have the idea that we don't just make sure the church survives a generation but that it builds up and grows and prospers and strengthens and matures in our time don't just hand the baton on to the next generation Hand it on stronger. The way Paul describes it in Ephesians, we're working together to build up the kingdom of God and pass it on as stronger than when we got it. We care about this, and so I want to grow the kingdom. He, he was good because he was devoted uh, to God when the threats came. I want you to notice the threat that came in verse 9 this is always what separated the kings the great ones from the eh ones it was when they're facing an army coming toward them and they can see it in their sights what do they do and many times god says i know what it looks like but i don't want you to trust in horses and chariots i want you just to trust me and so many times they would go i I just can't do it. I got to pay somebody else to fight this for me because we don't have a strong enough army. So many times that's what they did. But notice what Asa does beginning verse 9. zero the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men. Y'all, did you see the numbers we counted a moment ago? You've got 300,000 and 280,000. So you've got a good almost 600,000 people. But this guy with more than a million men, 300 chariots, Way outstretched out, Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines in battle in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. And Asa cried to the Lord. This, This sounds really valiant. Let me see what you think about this. He cried to the Lord, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people were with him, pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. They were broken before the Lord and his army. They carried away great spoils, totally outnumbered, nearly two to one. And all he did was say, God, we are outnumbered. We're in trouble. You're going to have to do this. And we just throw ourselves on your mercy. And we expect you to, we hope that you'll fight for us. And he does, and he wins. It, it's not a real great VBS story, y'all. I mean, we can act this out for VBS and go, okay, there's a war. What are you going to do? I'm just going to cry and home, God helps. And then, and it's all the kids at VBS are like, we need an, we need an Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, right? God kind of likes us relying on Him in those moments, no matter how non valiant it might look to people in our world. Trust in Him. And more often than not, when God fought for the people, it wasn't a real impressive looking victory from the outside, but God loves it when we rely on Him. But the hardest time to rely on Him is when we're staring down the barrel of a gun. Or an army with a bunch of chariots staring at us, and we know we're outnumbered. And when you, at that moment, it gets real. And you got to decide, am I just going to placate this, right? If I'm just going to play church, or am I going to be church? What, are, what am I going to do in this moment? He was good because he was devoted to the message God sent. After this great victory, chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said, hear me, Asa and all the people of Benjamin and Judah, the Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law, but when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. This is a pep talk y'all. God just rescued you in a valiant way. Now listen to what God's saying. Just learn to trust me all the time. Now how did he respond to this? Look at verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah the son of Oded, he took courage put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin from the cities he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. I thought he'd removed all those already. I thought he'd already taken that stuff out. Well, you know, it's easy to clean up once. Have you ever noticed this? It's easy to clean up your house once, but did you notice a week later it looks like it did before you cleaned it up? Anybody notice this? It's like, shouldn't you just like do it once and it be done? Well, you, I guess if he can seal it off. But here's what, got, it's what he did. He cleaned the land when he got there, but then he got, he got busy with other things and people started putting stuff back. It's kind of how we do it. When your kids so obediently put up their toys, how long before they come back out? Five seconds? Ten minutes? However long it is, it comes back out and you've got to do this again. It's a dogged, determined thing. It's got to be constant attention. And all of a sudden, he realizes what he's saying. Let's clean this up again. Let's do this again. Faithfulness today doesn't automatically mean faithfulness a month from now. It's going to take that daily decision over and over and over again. And something will crop up and come at your attention. You've got to decide, am I still devoted to fighting that in my life? He heard the message of Azariah. And when he heard it, he responded as they were words of God. That's the kind of guy you want to be king This is the kind of guy you want leading God's people and motivating them to get their lives right too. Those statements proved true. The eyes of the Lord did find Asa and supported him. When Asa sought God, God was easily found. But something happened. This is the bad and the ugly. There's lots of good about Asa, and he's considered good by everybody. I've got the secretary at the Church of Christ in Kent, the whole time I was there, nearly the whole time I was there, had a grandson, had a son that named his son Asa. Um, and not after Asa Hutchinson. Nobody knew about Asa Hutchinson. It was after this king, because he's a good king. But there's, there's a little bit of bad about everybody. This is what I like about Scripture. It's honest. It's totally honest and frank about all the people. And so Asa does something a little strange Chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. So he he bottled up Judah by, by setting up a fortified city and keeping people out. It was an act of war. Basha was setting up an act of war by building up this city. Okay, so we've been here before with Asa. He's been, he's been confronted before by an enemy, and what he always did is he cried out to God and said, God help us, tell us what to do. That's what you would expect, but he doesn't do that this time. Verse 2, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, north of You know, we have a covenant, he says. There's a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I'm sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha king of Israel, that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad took the money, listened to king Asa, sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered these cities. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah. He let his work cease. He had ordered a lot of wood and a lot of materials from lows. They were all loaded back up there waiting to build up the city but he got preoccupied. He went somewhere else. So King Asa took those materials carried them away and built up his own cities with the materials that Basha had bought. Now I want you to see what happened here. He paid somebody else to rescue him. Now He could afford it. He had the money. And it worked. It worked. If you you judge things on basis of whether it worked or not, this worked brilliantly. And in fact, he did something his father did. He'd seen his father do it. There was a precedent in Israel. You know, we sometimes pay other people to do our stuff, so let's subcontract this thing and let somebody else take care of it. It worked, it's been done before, and he could afford it. So why not do it? Here's why you don't do it. You consult God instead. Hananiah the seer is sent by God to him. He comes to Asa and says, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Assyria has escaped you. We're not the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen. Do you remember that? Yet because you relied on the Lord, He gave them into your hand. God's rescued you before. Why did you do this? Because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. You have done foolishly, and from now on, you're going to have needless wars. i am this as God had planned to give even the Syrians over to him. But because he wasn't faithful, he lost that opportunity. I want you to see what he does in response to this. This again is, so first of all, all of a sudden he's facing trouble and he And he turns to somebody else to fix it other than God. And then God sends a seer to him and says, Listen to me, you've done foolishly. How does he respond to the seer? Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. He was enraged by him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. All of a sudden, he's no longer listening to God's messenger. He's no longer relying on God when he's in trouble. And he's even treating the people wrong. What in the world happened? Nobody knows. It never gets fixed. We get to the end, and it says, The Acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, his, he was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he didn't seek the Lord. He just went to the physician's. There was an impasse between him and God. Some reason in his later years, he and God weren't on speaking terms. He was so mad. What was he mad about? That he would have been reprimanded when he's such a good guy? And that's how his life ends. So when both Chronicles and Kings says he was holy, true to the Lord all his days, that's not true. How do you square that? And the only way I can come up with is a gracious response. A couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, Michael Myers was here, did a great job on Samson. Sam, Samson's another character. I'm baffled by, and why he's in Hebrews 11, and I know God's grace and all that, but I, I, I don't see much redemptive about Samson personally. And this one is a little bit weird, too, right? He ends bad. He has this moment at the end just I don't know how long this was. I don't think there's much time there left, but there's a, s- still some years here that he and God weren't on speaking terms, apparently. And he just couldn't repent of it. But all I can figure of this is that words like blameless and holy, true, do not mean flawless and perfect. That's not what he's saying. God says the tenor of your life, the trajectory of your life, and the way you lead people and the way you influence people, all your life is faithful and true despite some bad and ugly moments. We all have them. Anybody in here not have bad, ugly moments. Does that disqualify us from being wholly true to God in His eyes? No, it doesn't. But God, in His Word, doesn't have to answer all the questions I have. God's not subject to my criticism or my, like, God, are you sure you know what you're talking about when you say this? These are what Things God says. So I just want to leave you at the end of Asa's life. I want you, to, let's live our lives in such a way that the whole trajectory of our life is when we try to be faithful to God and we, we we trust Him and live in faithfulness before Him. And the last two things I'll say is this: Just remember these two verses. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him—not perfect, not sinless, blameless. And God puts his eye on you for the sake of blessing you. And then the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. We serve a God who wants to be found and he wants to be looked for. But he's kind of like the father and playing hide and seek with his son. And he, and he finds like a bush like this and he stands here waiting for his son to find him. It is so terribly obvious where dad is it's not real hard to find him he's standing here so clearly seen but i'm going to say i'm hiding because i want my son to find me god wants to find his people he wants you to seek and he wants to be found and he really wants to bless and strengthen his people you don't have to be perfect for that but you do have to seek to be blameless to be people who are Faithful to God and always make sure you're seeking Him because He's easily found. Because that's the way He's designed it. Asa was a good king, and He was a good man, blameless and wholly true all his life, flaws and all. And may we seek to be the same way. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, make themselves blameless again because you've got something. In your life, it's a mess that needs to be cleaned out, and you need the prayers of this congregation. If that is your case, it's time now that you can do that as we stand and sing to encourage you.